Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. On your screen, you can, of course, see some key arc for Housemark's Returnal video game, one of my favorite games of 2021. But before we get into the major news item of the day, a lot of you have been asking me as they saw the Virtual Legality episode numbers going up and up and up. Just what we plan to do for episode 500. Now, here's where I take a step back, which is a phrase, if you've been in virtual legality for a while, you are probably familiar with me saying and talk to you a little bit about episode 500 and what it means and what it means to me. You might have thought I would have a big celebration, a party, streamers, hats, maybe a patron drive, whatever it might be. And I have never thought that that would be the appropriate way to celebrate this channel and this community and virtual legality on the whole and what we've done here and what you've done here with your comments and your upvotes and your telling people that we're having these conversations. So if you will indulge me for a few minutes, and I will put chapters in this video, if you'd prefer to skip that indulgence and talk specifically about Housemark, I will put a marker in there so that we can talk about it together. But I would like to talk just in very brief detail about my story, how this came to be, and to thank a whole ton of people that helped get us to this place and that really won't even constitute maybe a majority of those folks that have been a part of this journey have helped this channel, have helped me, whether it's in design or recommendations or getting my thumbnails to not be the green mess that they were in the opening years or otherwise. And to me, like on a birthday or any other celebration, part of that is celebrating the other people that came with you that made it happen. And so that's what I'd like to do for episode 500. And so let's talk about it a little bit. Hogue Law started in 2016. I was a big firm lawyer for my entire career, starting from when I graduated from the University of Michigan Law School in 2005, all the way through 2016. When I left, I was an equity partner at the firm where I worked. And that's the big target. That's the, the senior partner. You're participating in the profits of a very lucrative company. And I looked around and said, I want to do something different. Now, you can call me crazy. In fact, I sometimes think that myself. But I decided I wanted to go out on my own to focus more on work that excited me, that life is too short, that I wanted to help communities and help work with entrepreneurs that energized me, that had these great ideas, but not maybe the best ideas on how to bring them to fruition. To have those folks on the opposite side of my desk talking to me about their dreams, about how they're gonna give up their stayed job and, and bet their future on this dream that they have. And hopefully you've got a lawyer that can help you do that kind of thing. And in my best days, that's what Hogue Law is. But when you're marketing things in the 21st century, probably when you're marketing things in the 19th century, I just don't have the personal experience to really reflect on that. You have to differentiate who you are, your brand. And one of the things that I wanted to start to do with Hogue Law was to talk about lawyers, not just as folks in suits with fancy shoes that walk up to you and are very robotic and maybe you're not entirely comfortable with, but as people with personality. So I started looking around at how to market the firm, not just as cheaper and more efficient than big firms, though I think Hogue Law does that, again, on its best day, but also as maybe a little bit more personality based, maybe a little bit of a different approach for what talking about law and legal services is in the 21st century. And lo, I came upon 
the easy allies. Now, I had followed game trailers for a long time, especially when I was in school and otherwise just interested in the video game industry, and game trailers went under about the same time that Hoaglaw was starting up. As part of this, I also learned about Patreon. As the folks at Game Trailers started a Patreon-supported channel called Easy Allies, the highest tier of which was getting a sponsorship block, a short advertisement that was placed in their main podcast that was getting, I think, even at the time during the first year, 30,000 views, something that was a pretty nice return if it was matching up with the audience that you were trying to hit. So I said, you know what? Let's give that a try. And I signed up with the Patreon and Hoaglaw became a sponsor of Easy Allies. And you can actually see the pause screenshot I took of this back in 2017, where effectively Kyle Bossman, who was the moderator for their podcast at the time, was like, really? A law firm is sponsoring uh, us Californians talking about video games in, at that time, uh, Brandon Jones's garage. And I always loved that reaction. And I would sponsor them almost until the end of when they stopped taking sponsorships. I actually bowed out a little bit before that because I was becoming affiliated with a different firm and contracts and fun stuff that you don't need to worry about. But I supported them as long as I could and really almost to the end of when they were accepting kind of private actor support. And I owe what virtual legality became to Easy Allies in an important respect because Kyle Bossman started emailing me pretty regularly about questions that were facing the video game industry in respect of business and law and developed a show that would ultimately wind up being called Help Us Out Hogue. I say a show, it's a segment on the podcast where he would ask me questions and I would, if you've ever corresponded with me on one of these things, answer a two-sentence question with about 14 bullet points. Apologies for everybody that's ever asked me for a quote or my quote-unquote thoughts uh, on something, I tend to put those in massive amounts of detail. You could probably find podcast appearances of Help Us Out Hogue, where Brandon Jones says he sent us six pages. I'm going to try to read it in three paragraphs. And that was always fun for me. But one of the things it showed was that there was potentially an interest in having a conversation in a little bit more detail about the business and law of pop culture and video games. And I owe a lot of that to two people. Brandon Jones was my primary contact at Easy Allies. He was never anything but completely gracious, regardless of whether I was failing to get him my sponsorship copy on time or otherwise. He was always gracious. He was always interested. And he would respond to basically any kind of communication you had with him, including, hey, maybe I've got this issue with this inflection or, or whatever it was over the course of, I think, the better part of three years uh, that I was sponsoring Easy Allies. And Brandon was great. Every interaction I had with every single ally was great. Uh, and I think I talked to almost all of them. I'm not sure I talked to all of them, but I did talk to most of them. And the other person, of course, is Kyle Bossman, uh, who is an enormously creative person. You can tell it from every interaction that you have with him. And he is also a very intellectually curious person and was sending me emails about stuff that I, after 15 years of practice, had to go research to figure out what the heck he was even talking about to give proper answers and hopefully to help educate and inform audience at Easy Allies. And it was throughout that process that I really started to think, hmm, maybe I could make something more of this. And of course, the Easy Allies also deserve credit for letting me do silly things like this. You can see if you want one of the 
funniest, or at least I hope funniest videos on uh, my channel, the Hoglaw YouTube channel, is this Virtual Reality Extra, uh, where I uh, document the failures of contract law in respect of one of their betting specials on E3, uh, E3 2019, complete with black and white uh, scanned photography uh, and uh, dark music to go along with it. If you're at all interested in that kind of thing, I think it's great, but your mileage may vary. I also want to thank, in general, pop culture, Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi, Star Wars, other things that I love, uh, because it also taught me about various spots on the internet that I hadn't seen. I brought up the blog post that really led me to talking about pop culture on YouTube, and that's The Last Jedi article that I did that was, by far, I think still, the most read thing that I've ever written, and it taught me about Tumblr and Reddit and forums all over the internet because this one got passed around a lot. And again, I thought, well, I can talk about these kinds of things. I can talk about business and law. I can talk about pop culture. I just need to figure out the format. And that leads us into the world of sports. If you've only been in virtual reality for a little while, I don't mention it a ton because it doesn't come up a ton. But I'm a big sports fan, United States sports. I'm an even bigger University of Michigan Wolverine fan. We have unfortunately been in the wilderness in football for a long, long time. Basketball team's pretty good. But I also started to sponsor and otherwise get in touch with the folks that run MGO Blog, which is a fantastic blog specifically about Michigan sports. And they've helped support really all of my endeavors, including virtual legality, since I started that relationship. I've been on podcasts. I've been on those kinds of things. And as part of that podcasting, I was also on the radio. And as part of this, I was talking about sports on the fly, hopefully without a lot of pauses in your dialogue or ums and uhs and coughs and things like that. And combining all these things, all of them led to virtual legality. So I want to thank Michael Spath and Inside the Huddle. I want to thank MGO Blog. I want to thank the Easy Allies. I also want to thank the journalists that I wound up interacting with. Mike Futter here on your screen was one of the very first uh, that caught either Help Us Out Hogue or Easy Allies or just my random tweets about business and law and legal things. Uh, and he wound up working with me on a number of articles. It's a couple years back at this point in time. We haven't worked together a ton as he moved on to different things, but he put us in virtual, in, in variety and, and had references to Hogue Law and things about video games and the way that they're structured and the way studios actually function. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Finally, I want to thank the other YouTube lawyers that are on here. Legal Eagle has put us on his channel a number of times. If you don't know him, check him out. I think he's got, oh yes, 1.92 million subscribers at this point in time. This 300,000 view video might be the one where the name Hogue Law is referenced to the most people on YouTube. It might be another Legal Eagle video in which he references us and virtual legality, but I'm very, very thankful for really all of Law YouTube and Law uh, streamers and everything else, because while you might think there'd be a certain amount of territorialness or uh, justification in preventing other people from getting involved uh, in actually having their own channel or competing against them. Every single person has been great. And on all political persuasions, from legal eagle to uncivil law, Leonard French, uh, and, and more. And, and so I really do think that it's incredible that even though there's so much backbiting and so much negativity on places like Twitter and social media, all these folks that have their own livelihoods invested in getting some of those commercial dollars from YouTube or otherwise selling teaching courses or, or succeeding in a livelihood that is unusual, nonetheless open their doors, open their arms to talking to me about how the algorithm works and what I should be doing and putting my stuff on their channels and having conversations with me in a way 
that I think is just really, really heartening when there's so much in the world that maybe you aren't so heartened about. So I want to thank all of them. And I am, as I said before I even started this process, undoubtedly forgetting tons and tons of people, or not forgetting, but just kind of consolidating into YouTube lawyers and sports folks that have asked me questions and other categories, because I just can't cover the multitude of people that have helped us get to episode 500 of Virtual Legality. I also want to thank, of course, Tim Sweeney and Epic Games. As you can see on this playlist, 51 videos. If you're doing the math at home, that means that an antitrust epic itself is 10% plus of our output here on Virtual Legality. Had Tim Sweeney decided not to trap Apple and Google and sue them last fall, who knows what these 51 slots uh, would have been made up of, or maybe if the videos would have existed at all. Maybe we would have been another four months removed from episode 500, but Epic helped us populate the channel, of course, and in so doing, you hear me say, I don't think there's cases very strong, did represent a lot of good discussions and conversations in this space about why I felt that way, why others might not feel that way, and how lawsuits actually function. We did 17 episodes going daily through witness testimony, the battle of the experts, in a way that I don't think a lot of people on YouTube have been doing before, especially in this in the realm of antitrust and technology. And I think that was fun. That was useful. And hopefully more and more people will keep coming to that particular playlist as they have been doing since that finish, especially once that opinion comes out, because it's so, so interesting uh, and so really important to the way that our society runs. I also want to thank one of our very, very first inviters onto a podcast, Lord Cognito and the Iron Lords podcast. Honestly, they're getting so popular at this point in time. Lord Cognito appears everywhere uh, from Kind of Funny to Colin Moriarty and, and elsewhere that it's almost impossible to keep up with him at this point. But he invited us on when I, I want to say we were less than a thousand subscribers. Uh, and we've had a great relationship since I've been on, I don't even know, more than a half dozen times, I think, uh, on the Iron Lords. If you don't know them, check them out. Uh, they are great ambassadors for video games. They invite anyone and everyone to have conversations about games, not mired in a lot of the controversies or culture fights of the day. Uh, and it's just a feeling of talking with dorm room friends about the hobby that you love. I highly recommend them. And they were great to virtual legality now and even before when we were just a little baby YouTube channel. And of course, as I mentioned, Colin Moriarty uh, and his Last Stand Media Group, formerly of IGN, formerly of Kind of Funny, he has been a great source of support for the channel, going out of his way to retweet our videos, to talk uh, to people about what we're doing in this space. I can't be thankful enough uh, for those efforts and the efforts of his team. I've interacted with, I think, almost everybody uh, that works with him, works for him, and they've all been great and very supportive. Uh, and of course, last but not least, we started a Patreon ourselves earlier this year. So many of you are providing financial support directly for the channel, especially after we got struck once, which we got rescinded uh, by YouTube, but which still may be playing out in the algorithm in the way that the videos really aren't getting kicked around the YouTube interface like they were last year. And I could not be more thankful for that support. Virtual legality has become a second job and it's a second job that I love. Uh, but it certainly takes a lot of time and every single bit of that support is so, so helpful. And I am so thankful. And that's really the end of the list. That's really the end of what I want to talk about. One thing I would point out though is, you know, as I thank all these people, my guess is if you're listening to this, if you're watching this on YouTube, you looked at that list and went, eh, 
for one or two of those folks, right? There's somebody whose opinion on that list you really love and somebody else whose opinion that you really hate or vice versa. And the one thing that I am proudest of in virtual legality is this ethos, this philosophy that this community has been able to espouse successfully. And that's this notion that reasonable minds can differ, that a difference in opinion does not make your debate opponent crazy, certainly doesn't make them less than human. And that comes from, sure, I've said I follow Fox and Vox. You could see the list of people that I talk to online and interact with. You can follow me on Twitter or on social media and see how that discourse happens amongst people that have wildly different political persuasions and how that doesn't have to change how you treat someone with inherent love and respect, to borrow Easy Allies' phrase. And I am so, so proud of that, that one aspect of virtual legality. And that wouldn't be possible without the community behaving the way it does, without the conversations that we have here. And I really thank all of you for that. And, and that's really the story of episode 500. Now, let's talk about a little substance, or as our friend Jim Baker here says, welcome to the family, son, Resident Evil style, which in the PlayStation blog this morning means, welcome to the family, developers of classic PlayStation hits, including Returnal, Super Stardust HD, and Dead Nation, Join PlayStation Studios. Now, they actually don't use the word housemark there. They've got it in this label. Uh, and you don't actually see much of an announcement here. I can read you the entire thing in probably 20 seconds. Today, and this is from Herman Holst, I'm thrilled to welcome a new member to the PlayStation Studios family. I have been a fan of housemark since the studio's early days when they introduced Super Stardust HD to PlayStation fans. Housemark's recent release of Returnal, proves the studio is one with incredible vision, capable of creating memorable new games that resonate with our community. This addition enhances the creative force of PlayStation Studios, and I cannot wait to see what the future holds for Housemark. Welcome to the family, Housemark. <laughs> it's one paragraph for what's a significant acquisition. We've been talking now for a good long time about essentially the escalating acquisition wars. Of course, Xbox and Microsoft making the really big waves by effectively purchasing an entire third-party publisher in Bethesda uh, and ZeniMax. Uh, and here we have a much, much smaller acquisition, but mirroring the way that we've observed Sony and their PlayStation brand doing business. You work with them closely for a good long time. You make exclusives for them. They help fund those projects. And at some point they say, yeah, let's get married. And they buy Insomniac. Here they buy Housemark, And maybe they buy someone else. We'll get to that at the end of this video. Now, as far as a statement from Housemark, we get one from Ilari Kutinen. Hopefully that's close enough. We are so excited to finally join the PlayStation Studios family. This gives our studio a clear future and a stable opportunity to continue delivering on gameplay-centric approaches while still experimenting with new methods of narrative delivery and pushing the boundaries of this modern art form. Locally, here in Helsinki, this also means that we will officially expand the PlayStation family to a growing industry hub and secure the legacy of the oldest game studio in Finland. One of the things that pops up here, and we're going to look at another document that actually talks about this acquisition more significantly, is you can really get a sense of pride of place uh, from the co-founder here of Housemark, and I, and I love that. As somebody that loves a state and loves a location that a lot of the country, I think, maybe looks down upon, we're in Metro Detroit here, we're in Michigan, the cold north, I can totally understand having that pride of place, and I think it's an amusing quirk uh, to see in kind of giant corporate statements uh, that Housemark is clearly very stoked about being a fully funded, enormously successful Finnish company. 
With the backing of SIE, Sony Interactive Entertainment, and its family of studios supporting us, we can truly grow into our place in the industry and show what Housemark can create with no limitations. Now, he means resource limitations there. I will tell you when you're owned by another company, you have certain limitations. You have somebody to answer to, uh, but we won't take anything away from this moment of celebration for Housemark. And that's the whole announcement, mostly given over to Housemark, which is pretty cool from Mr. Holst, honestly, and no details at all. Is it an asset purchase? Is it an equity purchase? Is it cash? Is it cash in stock? Is it a rollover? What, what is it? We don't know. But what's important is it probably wasn't as expensive as Insomniac, which sold for just a little bit north of $200 million uh, and is certainly not remotely in the realm of spending $7.5 billion as Microsoft did with respect to ZeniMax and Bethesda. But it's still a cool transaction and you do get the notion here and we'll see it more fulsomely in the next document that we're going to look at that Housemark was effectively doing a kind of proof of concept with Returnal. That Returnal was the big jumping point where they showed that they could make something that had AAA success, that could sell at full price, that people would like. And as I said, as part of this video, Returnal is probably my favorite game that I have played right now through the first half of 2021. Now, to be fully honest, my favorite game experience is probably the Yuffie DLC from Final Fantasy VII Remake. I just absolutely adored that and played it until I had done every single thing in it. But I'm told from very important people that that can't actually be my game of the year for 2021. So we'll see. Returnal is very, very high. I absolutely adored it. Uh, and so I think it's a great purchase for PlayStation and for Housemark. Certainly whenever you've got an indie studio and their co-founders, this is a money day. This is a payday for them. This is the realization of their dreams in terms of financial security. And as a corporate lawyer that does mergers and acquisitions, I always love to see that. I love those closing dinners. I love to see uh, the light in people's eyes on that kind of stuff. Now, we said we had another document and we do. If you remember from February of this year, when we did a virtual legality episode that was basically just called the Jim Ryan interview, it was also called the British GQ Jim Ryan interview. And in that particular interview, Jim Ryan and Sony and PlayStation gave a whole bunch of big breaking news items, not to Polygon, not to IGN or GameSpot or Kotaku or whoever else you might think would be a good fit, but instead to GQ and not just any GQ, British GQ. And they gave this to an individual by the name of Robert Leadham. And I bring all of this up because following up this housemark transaction was not a big giant blog post, but instead an article called Why PlayStation Bought Returnal Developer Housemark The Inside Story by, you guessed it, Robert Leadham at British GQ. It appears, looking at this from on the outside in, that British GQ is one of the current Sony PlayStation favored outlets to have these kind of communications. Now, you can make any number of reasons up in your head for why that might be. Oh, these guys don't focus on some of the stuff that American outlets focus on with respect to things that we don't want to talk about. They're a little bit easier to control. Or we just know Robert Leadham and he's a good interview and we like that. It's very, very interesting. And I think it might be something that you see either continued by Sony or followed up on by other members of the gaming industry themselves because it's clear that it doesn't matter where you put this information. It doesn't matter whether it's in British GQ or Teen Vogue. It'll still get out there on the internet if you give up information like this. So 
It's an interesting world for marketing of video games and video game console news because you can just give this information to British GQ and I'll find it in virtual legality and IGN will find it and reference it in their articles and it makes no difference. So it will be interesting to see how much Sony in particular, but maybe even the other studios and other hardware manufacturers move towards, uh, let's call them friendly confines, interviewers that you just trust a little bit more inherently. Now, let's take a look at some of the answers because I think there's some interesting things to glean just from this purchase in and of itself. First, we get the editorial from British GQ. Housemark, the Helsinki-based game developer behind recent PlayStation 5 hit, Returnal, is being acquired by Sony Interactive Entertainment for an undisclosed fee. This is PlayStation's second major purchase in as many years, following the $229 million buyout of Insomniac Games in 2019. Now, I know this math is a little bit tricky, but I'm pretty sure that buying a studio in 2019 and buying a studio in 2021 is not actually the second major purchase in as many years. I'm pretty sure that would have required a purchase of a major studio in 2020 to go with the 2019 one, but we'll allow it because it's kind of two years. It's just not two years as we would usually think of it. To put it another way, Returnal proved Housemark could expand its horizons while retaining its status as a real gamers game developer. Now, I probably wouldn't use the word horizon there, given the fact that there's a prominent game of horizon already on PlayStation, as well as on Xbox, to be frank. Uh, but hey, fair enough as well. Now, Alari Kutenden, Housemark's co-founder and managing director, wants to use this acquisition to really break new ground for this studio. That's what we saw in the PlayStation blog post, right? Here's the question. So how do you organize an acquisition via Zoom these days? You'll have to fill us in. The funny part, says Ilari, is that we haven't seen each other during this process in real life. So I guess that makes this a bit extraordinary. Now, here's a funny fact for you. I've done mergers and acquisitions now since the start of my career. Uh, and certainly when I started, there were more in-person conference room meetings. There were more closing dinners. There were more pens on fancy binders and formal handshakes and things like that. It has been since well before the pandemic that major, major deals of hundreds of millions of dollars have been closed with basically DocuSign or scan signatures in what we call a remote exchange of documents uh, that occurs across countries, if not the entire globe. So yes, the pandemic made it more likely, uh, but closings haven't really required that in-person kind of connectivity as much for years and years and years. As Herman Hulse says, that was actually super useful. It was easy for me to pick up the phone last year when I've not been in the role for that long. I think it was back in 2006 that Alari with his core team came down to Amsterdam when I was struggling to get Killzone Liberation for PSP out the door. What stood out then was how technically capable the core team was at Housemark. And I love these kinds of behind the scenes stories. This sounds like Killzone Liberation was having trouble in 2006. Sony called in help from Housemark and Housemark provided technical support. And Herman Hulse remembered that. And it also goes to speak to actually putting somebody like Mr. Holst, who has that background in actually putting out games into the role that he has now, and how that can potentially be useful, not just for networking, but also for empathy, for understanding exactly what the teams are going through. And that might be part and parcel to why you're seeing the success that you are seeing with Sony and their studios and putting out games really almost on a hit-by-hit-by-hit-by-hit-by-hit basis. Um, continuing with his quote, they always have that super intense arcade style, but they've been able to innovate by creating their own genre with a roguelike that's got a nicely layered story on top. Reasonable minds can differ as to whether or not Housemark succeeds with respect to Returnal's story. I will undoubtedly be talking about that more extensively uh, in some upcoming appearances that I have talking about Returnal specifically, but it is undoubtedly the case that Returnal has vastly more story and world building and concept 
than something like Rezogun or some other housemark game that was really focused specifically on just delivering an arcade setup. And I do think that part of that was showing Sony that they could make a game that had some kind of story integrated in it because ultimately that's primarily what Sony does. Uh, from Ratchet and Clank to The Last of Us Part Two, there's all sorts of different versions of quote-unquote story. Almost all of the games that Sony puts out has that element. So from your perspective, you want to keep doing bigger things and Sony will enable you to do that? Yes, that's certainly the right conclusion there. I think Sony is the partner that's best positioned to help develop even further. I've been there myself as an independent developer, says Mr. Hulse. We've been able to take the limitations away and to get Ilari, Hari, and all the core team to focus exclusively on making amazing games. I think this is going to help them grow even further and it will be great for the quality ambitions. Now, this is the kind of thing that you hear from every announcement, right? This is the kind of thing we heard from the Microsoft Bethesda announcement. Certainly, if you're looking at Sony's history here, when they bought Insomniac, Insomniac's done great since that purchase. Uh, when they've purchased prior studios, they've mostly done great, as best as we can tell, from the outside. You never quite know about the tumult inside. Uh, but it's also kind of the other side of the coin when we talk about Xbox, right? I, I think Xbox has made some very good choices with what it's decided to do with Game Pass and with the acquisitions that it's made. But certain folks are out there online saying, hey, you know, they haven't proven it yet. And I do think that that's an accurate statement. I very much hope that they prove it and they prove it with bells on, but we don't actually know exactly what the output of Xbox-owned studios is going to be, and hopefully they can get to the level where Sony is cranking things out, because two console manufacturers cranking things out is a great thing for gamers, regardless. You're not going to find a console warrior here, but certainly Sony is the one that has the better pitch right now that says, no, no, we buy you, you do great. Speaking of Bethesda, GQ asks the question, looking at the industry from the outside, it feels like a bit of an arms race. Is that how you see it, Herman? No, not at all. We're very selective about the developers that we bring in. Our last new acquisition was Insomniac, which has worked out very well. It's not like we're going around and just making random acquisitions. They're very, very targeted acquisitions of teams that we know well. Obviously, this is not something you do overnight. Ilari and my team have been working on this for quite a while, but we obviously didn't want to distract the core group at Housemark that's been working to get this amazing title out. Couple of things here, right? And I think Sony is, is telling the truth. I think Herman Holst is correctly describing their philosophy of acquisitions here, which is that unlike Xbox and Microsoft that basically caught up to development output in terms of quantity by whole hog purchasing a giant publisher that has all of these various discrete things that they're making and more power to them, Sony has in general build up more slowly. You work with them for a long period of time. Insomniac worked with them forever, and then we purchase you. You work with us on a number of launches like Housemark. You put out those games, and then we purchase you. You maybe help us port certain things and or make remasters or remakes of them. We'll, we'll get to that. And maybe we purchase you. And I do think that that's an accurate philosophical discussion of what Sony tries to do. In this last paragraph, I think it's important, and we've talked about it in virtual reality before, to understand that these things don't just happen in one minute. That when you're talking about somebody actually announcing definitive agreements to purchase a company, chances are they entered into an LOI or at least discussions months and months and months ago, probably during the pandemic. And you get a little hint at that while this paragraph is out there talking about the fact that we didn't want to distract them from making Returnal. And that that's part of the story as well. And it's one of the parts that a lot of people, especially founders of small companies, don't love. You kind of have to hide your intentions, the secret that you're considering selling the company, going with somebody else for a long period of time for people that are your friends and family. And 
I have no doubt in my mind that by the time you get to announcement day, it's a great deal of relief lifted off your shoulders that you can actually explain to everybody what's going on fully, even though certain people on your team are undoubtedly going to be aware of it because you'll have to collect your financials and your employment history and your payroll and all that good stuff before you can actually sell the company. Clearly, Sony is happy with Returnal's commercial performance because we're having this conversation today, but how do you reflect on it from an artistic perspective? Yeah, of course, we are very pleased, but as creatives, you know, it's never like 10 out of 10. You have your doubts as to how people are going to react to this combination of pretty unique stuff. Well, what was the biggest lesson you learned from the process of making that game? There are many, but I think doing this procedurally generated stuff doesn't make your work easier. So it's a very complex game and systems. We learned that making this all work is quite hard, but the results speak for themselves. And I love that stuff. I love those kinds of detailed insights where procedural generation is seen as something that is easier. And it is easier just kind of from the outside looking in, in terms of asset creation, you can get away with making less stuff because you're going to be combining things up randomly. But to get all of that to work is still a technical feat. It's still going to require a lot of effort on your side. And if you introduce a story component to a procedurally generated environment, you've now got two things that don't mesh terribly well together that you have to work through. And so I think it's very, very interesting when you hear the people that actually make games that I loved as much as I did with respect to Returnal talk about the difficulties that they had. So I do, of course, recommend this article. I will link it in the description. You should check it out yourself. We're only taking like brief highlights of everything that they wound up saying here. In the past, Housemark has made its name on smaller titles such as Rezogun and Next Machina. Are the days of making those games gone? Well, at least initially, I think we're looking into what we've done and building upon it. Certainly, Returnal is a kind of stepping stone for us. When we're thinking about the future titles, they'll maybe be even bigger and even more ambitious. The concept here is that Sony has found the nascent stages of what they think, in all likelihood, will be a significant AAA studio presence for them right at the very start of when they've broken out into that level of development. And the pitch clearly, at least as Housemark understands it, is we're going to open up the resources to you and you're going to be able to make these things even bigger because you've proven yourself, you've supported us at launch, Returnal is great, and now you can make Super Returnal or whatever else you want to do. But of course, you know, answering to us, we want to make sure we understand what games are, are being greenlit here. One of the underrated aspects of the PlayStation 5 success so far has been Sony's ability to publish a string of very different games in the midst of a pandemic. How does acquiring Housemark broaden the PlayStation Studios portfolio, Herman. In terms of the diversity of our offering, Housemark has a very bespoke style. And I love the word choice there. Uh, we talk about Bullet Fest, their arcade gameplay-centric approach to development. They're so good at that because the combat is so tight. It fills a unique part of our site of games that people have come to love. And again, I think there are a lot of things that you can say in these, and then there's a lot of gilding the lily and just kind of blowing smoke. I do like to see answers that actually have at least a grain of substance to them. And I agree that that's what Housemark is good at. Just enormously tight experiences, very responsive controls. And Returnal is no exception. When you are flying around Returnal, when you're in the zone, you can play it for two hours and jump around and hit everything and feel great about it because of that responsiveness. And you don't get the same experience from Ratchet and Clank. You don't get the same experience from anything else in the Sony bullpen. So I think... Just like Mr. Holst is saying here, it makes a ton of sense. And I am looking forward to seeing what they do with a little bit more resourcing. As he continues with answers to GQ, Herman says they'll get to run their team. They get to maintain the culture. We'll obviously protect that. But when you have a network of 13 studios globally that are typically quite well organized but have different cultures, you can learn a lot. That part of the reason that Sony says they have their success is because you've got 13 different studios doing all sorts of different things and you can learn 
from what other people are doing. And I think this is the final question here. And Ilari, I just wanted to finish up by asking how you are feeling as the co-founder of the studio. There's a lot of pride involved in these moments, but it's also a time for reflection. Can you explain what you're going through? Well, I'm really happy. He's a co-founder. He's an equity holder in a company that just sold it to a global megalith corporation. I would be very happy too. This is a very big deal for us as co-founders, of course, and for the whole team too. It's a big step. I think maybe for the Finnish game studio ecosystem as well. We've established that here in the Nordics, and especially now in Finland, you can find some of the best game developers in the world. And again, like I said, as somebody that comes uh, from a location in a state that maybe isn't the most highly thought of in the United States, certainly in the world, I can totally get behind someone that's just excited about having built a company that got the attention of these giants, that sold to these giants, and are creating what they hope will be an ecosystem of video game development in a place where you might not expect it. So as far as these things go, everything can change when tomorrow hits and Sony decides it doesn't like a portion of management or doesn't like the direction or doesn't like the returns on investment, whatever it might be. That can, of course, happen, but that's tomorrow. And as far as these things go here in 2021, I think Bethesda is a good fit for Xbox. I think Housemark's an excellent fit for Sony. I understand those folks that come into my comments and otherwise talk to me on social media and say, you know, this consolidation, this acquisition spree isn't really helping people because it's limiting where you can get these games. I do in general think that competition between the juggernauts of Microsoft and PlayStation and Nintendo is helpful, that you get more resources, you get more money. Microsoft being all in at the poker table of video gaming is ultimately a good thing. But I also understand why somebody can look at it and say, well, I guess I'm never going to play a housemark game if I don't have a PlayStation. Or certainly if I don't have a PlayStation 5, which it's very difficult to get here still in the middle of 2021. Finally, as promised, as hinted at, I will leave you with the last thing that went live as part of this story today. And that was when PlayStation Japan uploaded the news item about PlayStation buying Housemark, they accidentally uploaded this photo, which welcomed not Housemark, but Bluepoint Games to the family. If you aren't familiar with Bluepoint, they have been doing these kind of up-res ports. Up-res is a little bit dismissive, that they've been actually building from the ground up important games in the Sony lexicon and bringing them up to speed on a modern basis. I think they did Shadow of the Colossus. They just recently did Demon's Souls uh, at the start of the PlayStation 5 generation. And they are very, very gifted technically again. And one does assume that right now, if Sony did buy Housemark and Bluepoint uh, in a similar time frame, yes, they want to give the resources. Yes, they want to build up the AAA studios. From a technical standpoint, Bluepoint and Housemark are also probably pretty useful just to have on the bench potentially solving problems that your Sony Santa Monica, your Naughty Dog, your Insomniac, whomever might have because they are so gifted at actually coding and getting the output that Sony wants to see out of these systems. I think in all likelihood, this is an incorrect, inaccurate release of news for a deal that has been signed, but not necessarily one that is inaccurate for a deal that is pending and soon to be signed. Bluepoint just makes too much sense to go along with the PlayStation Studios family and to go along with them at the same time, give or take, that PlayStation purchased Housemark. So you're seeing PlayStation return volley in the way that Sony does on these kinds of things, not by going out and buying Electronic Arts and doing Microsoft's thing, but instead buying those studios that they have worked with very, very intently uh, over the course of the prior generation, if not before. So that's Housemark. That's episode 500. I do, again, just want to express my thanks to everybody 
that has been involved in our journey this far. Can't wait to get to a thousand. I'm loving this stuff. Even if it is a second job, thank you so much for supporting the channel. Uh, and if this is your first time here, sorry about that first 15 minutes of the video, but you get to see a few of the people that have spoken to us uh, on our journey and have supported everything that we've tried to do here. Feel free to skip those in the future. Otherwise, Thank you so much. If you want to consider supporting the channel, as we mentioned, we've got a Patreon, we've got Streamlabs just for one-off tips, and we've got a store with cool shirts like ones that say reasonable minds can differ, or just consider subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, downvoting, ringing bells, and all the rest. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.